Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. Welcome to Financially Ever After. I'm Stacey Francis, and I'm excited to have you here. Every other week, we bring great content to you to help you make good decisions about your money, both during and after divorce and beyond. Today is no exception, and we have a fantastic guest named Barry Tesler. I know Barry through reading her book. In fact, I feel like I know her more than I maybe know some of my closest friends because she's able to share in her book the real her and her own money journey, her own money story. And if you stay to the very end, I reveal a lot about myself. In fact, I have to say I essentially got financially naked on this podcast, but it's worth it. It's worth it, and I'm happy to do that because what my hope and what my goal for today for you is to start to understand your money relationship, your money story, what's working for you about that story and what you learned about money when you were growing up, and what's not working for you. And most importantly, giving you the tools through a body check-in that you'll learn about as well as a money date night that you can have with yourself, including if you want candles, wine, my favorite chocolate. All of these tools will help you get on top of your financial situation, helping you really look at your spending and start to question if it meshes with your values, if it is taking you closer to your goals, if it's really helping you move forward in your life. There's a lot that we're going to be going through, so please get a pen and paper. If you're driving, don't worry about it. We've got everything in the show notes for you, but let's get started with Barry Tesler, author of The Art of Money. Welcome to Financially Ever After. Today, we have a special guest, Barry Tesler, and I was fortunate enough to take her amazing book on vacation. It's called The Art of Money, and it had a really intriguing title, and I kept it by my side throughout the last five days that I spent in Grand Cayman. And what I did is every morning at about five in the morning, I would wake up, go get a cup of coffee, sit on the balcony overlooking the ocean, and read this amazing book. So I am a little bit starstruck today to have Barry on our podcast, and I'm just over the moon excited because she's going to be sharing with us a whole different way of looking at our money, a way that I know you've never really looked at before, and a way that is going to really transform your relationship with money in a healthy and very positive way. So without further ado, I'd love to say thank you for being here, Barry, and please introduce yourself. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. I took a break from interviews all summer, so you're my first one, and I have eight in the next two weeks. So I'm I'm just very happy to be here with you today and excited to answer any questions that will be supportive for your community. Well, I have so many questions, and if the 
listeners could see the book that I have that you are kind enough to send me is dog-eared, underlined notes in the columns. I took so much from, from this book. And before we get started, what is your background? How have you come to do this work, essentially as a money coach, as a consultant, as an educator, as a real you know, motivator? Yeah. What has brought you here and... You know, you have such a different view about money and its role in your life, you know, much more different than, you know, your typical, what you would say your typical financial advisor. Yeah. So I like to call myself a financial therapist and mompreneur. And I got started in my 20s when I went to graduate school to train to become a therapist. And I really thought I'd be working with couples and I thought I'd be working around intimacy and sexuality, and body, and food, and grief, and death. Those were my topics. And then basically, I spent all my 20s training to be a therapist in graduate school, doing my internship work, which was tons of hours in the mental health field, in hospice, doing bereavement work. I was also doing overnight care work for elderly folks and people that were dying. And basically, what happened was my school loan came due you know, at the age of 28. And it was one of those wake up moments where I realized, how did I make it to the age of 28? And I have folks, you know, in my community, they're 25 to 75 years old. And they say, how did I make it to 50? How did I make it to 60 or 70 without learning about money and without learning how to have a healthy relationship to money from grade school on up in small increments? You know, wouldn't that be wonderful? But that student loan really freaked me out. And my first instinct was to run away and travel the world and not face it. And then pretty quickly, I realized I'm going to face this like I do every other big, scary, challenging topic in my life. And I'm going to learn everything I can about money from the ground on up. And I'm going to learn about emotions and money. And I'm going to learn about bookkeeping. And I wound up falling in love with bookkeeping, which really surprised me because I was someone who my bank statements would arrive in the mail and I would throw them out because what do you do with them? You know, I wasn't looking at my numbers. I didn't understand all the emotions that would come up around money and emotions can be anything from shame to anger to guilt to anxiety and sadness. And we can talk about that more, but I can say so much about that wake up moment, but my student loan coming due allowed me to see one, I don't have a healthy any relationship to money. I haven't studied this area of my life. I haven't learned how to work with it emotionally. And I haven't, you know, so emotional literacy and financial literacy were what I decided to take on. But before I came to that moment, I really thought I was the only one who had money issues. And I was so stuck in my own money shame that I really just thought I'm the only one who did not learn how to have a healthy relationship to money from grade school on up. And pretty quickly, I started looking around at all the folks in graduate school and you know, just my community that time, people from all different lineage and ethnic backgrounds, folks from all different economic backgrounds and different income levels at the time. And you know what? We all had money issues, no matter what background we came from. And we all had strengths around money and we all had challenges around money. And so when I was able to you know, move through my own shame and realize I'm not alone, we're never alone, and to see that 
my community had the same issues, you know, or different, even if they came from different backgrounds, it was time for me to learn about how to have a healthy relationship to money. And I needed to do it for myself first. And then at some point I started a bookkeeping business for other artists and therapists and coaches, and they could care less that I had a master's degree in psychology. Some of them didn't even know that. They just threw their bookkeeping at me and just said, please do this for me. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And I probably learned more about people's relationship to money and cash flow and values and what's important to them by doing their bookkeeping compared to being a therapist at the age of, for me, 28 to 32. And then at 32, I realized it was time to integrate all of my past training as a psychotherapist with all of these new skills and systems that I was surprisingly falling in love with around money management and putting it all together. And I started my very first groups, you know, 18 years ago, and I would teach small groups of 10 people over and over and over. Now, almost 19 years later, I teach not a six-week group with 10 people, even though I did that over and over, to really fine-tune the methodology, to mature it, to deepen it. And now I teach online with about 500 folks each year from around the world. And the methodology is called the Art of Money, and it integrates money healing, money practices, money maps into a year-long framework. And so that's what I'm doing. And there's so much more to that story, but that's in a nutshell. I love your approach. And you know, one of the things that really struck me was the way that we think about money that, you know, we all have issues, whether it's shame, it's anxiety, it's guilt. And that one of the things you talk about is that unless we turn within to heal our emotional relationship with money, the external changes that we're hoping for, maybe that's saving more, maybe that's paying down debt, whatever that might be, just are not going to happen because you share very insightfully that it's more than just the numbers. It's really about our relationship with ourself. Tell me a little bit more about that. And, you know, many of our listeners previously maybe have not been conscious, as conscious as they are now about their money, because now they're finding themselves solely responsible for making money decisions. So this healing your relationship for the right way you want to deal with your money, the way you hope and aspire to deal with your money is more important than ever. It's all important, right? So, but for many of us, as I was saying, and this was my story too, I was not taught how to have a relationship to money. I came from a middle class background and in particular, my father was very generous, but also had a lot of conditions that weren't directly spoken to. So I wasn't given great teachings, you know, from my father. And that made me choose to not get married until later and choose a different kind of partner than my father, a different kind of husband. But we all have different scenarios where it suddenly becomes clear we have not looked at this area of our life. We know we're very smart. 
were maybe even very accomplished or we chose to have children and we spent years being a mother and attending to everything that there is for parenting and the household and that in itself is beyond a full-time job and there's so much skill set that is involved in that but so we've either you know passed this on to someone else and either said we're not good with money or we're not smart in this area or don't know how to do it and then we get a wake-up call and it's different for all of us whether it is divorce or or a death, or there's so many different scenarios of why it's finally time for us to look at our relationship to money and understand this whole area. And for me, please know, I love the practical parts of money, but they were hard for me to learn at first. You know, I had to make sure that I had someone who was a good handholder and a good teacher who would sit me down and teach me how to learn QuickBooks, something, a bookkeeping system I never thought I could learn. And when I finally did, it felt incredibly empowering to me. So I love looking at the numbers and I love learning about income and expense patterns and cash flow and what's working and it's not. And to look at the budgeting part, which I call money maps, but those come later for me. The very first entrance way into having a healthy conscious relationship to money is learning what are the emotions that come up for us because they are big emotions. You know, most of us, we have emotions. We're human. They're not going to go away. We can learn how to name them and work with them and sit with them. And that makes a huge difference and they can dissolve or diminish. But first we just need to say, Hey, emotions, what's going on? Who are you? What set of emotions comes up around money? And we've already been Mm -hmm. naming them, right? Shame and anger and guilt and sadness and anxiety and wanting to fall asleep and thinking this is the most boring area of life to I get excited. You know, people eventually say, I never believed you. And it took me probably six months or a year to actually learn QuickBooks or one of the other bookkeeping systems. But when I finally did, it was so empowering and I felt hopeful and I felt clarity and I felt joy, you know? So there's a whole spectrum of emotions, not just the more challenging ones. But first stop is to understand what set of emotions comes up for you. And that's why I talk about emotional literacy and financial literacy being side by side because growing up most of us did not learn how to name our emotions or work with our emotions just like we didn't learn you know all the practical parts about money so i want to start there first and the very first tool that i give people as you saw in the book is what i call a body check-in and it came from my psychotherapy training and i was also trained as a somatic therapist and somatic just means body just means your mind and body are connected And um, a body check-in is just encouraging you to stop before a money conversation or realizing in the heat of the moment or afterwards as a debriefing or when you're going to the mall, when you're going to go online to look at your numbers or when you're going to learn a bookkeeping systems, there's all these daily money interactions that we have. And the body check-in is one of those tools to start with. And it just helps you stop and pause and check in and say, what's going on right now in my body on a physical level? Are my shoulders up? Are they down? What are the sensations in my body? Any fluttering? What are the emotions that are coming up right now? I'm feeling really scared. I'm feeling really angry. I'm feeling a lot of heat in my body. And then also checking in, what is your breath doing? Is your breath shallow? Is it down in your belly? Is it more up? And it's just a way to stop and pause 
to calm yourself down. At the beginning, you may not feel like you're calming yourself down or feeling more calm. And that may take a while. At first, you may just be noticing that the emotion is big and that it feels like it's overwhelming to you. But the more mm-hmm. you do these body check-ins and the more you practice this, before you're going to have a money conversation, or maybe you forget to do a body check-in before to help prepare. Maybe in the heat of the moment, you realize I'm freaking out right now, or this is bringing up a lot of stuff, or it's reminding me of my mother right now, or it's reminding me of my ex-husband, or you know, whatever it is to in the moment, catch it and just stop yourself and just say, okay, what is going on in my body right now? Barry, I'm so happy you bring this up. And you would be so proud of me because I did a body check-in yesterday as well as a couple days before. And the results of each of them were a little different. And so the first body check-in was I'm watching my children get new shoes for school. It's back to school time and they all have to have special shoes that are a certain way that match their uniform. And so we go on Zappos, we order everything and, you know, I'm seeing all these great shoes. And I'll be honest, I very thought to myself, what about me? You know, where's my back to school new shoes? Uh And I did a body check-in of how do I feel about this? Does this make me feel good? Does this make me feel comfortable? And I had that kind of pit in the bottom of my stomach saying, Stace, I don't know if you really need new shoes. I went in, I reorganized my closet with all the shoes. I color coordinated them and found shoes I forgot I completely had, literally, and realized, you know what? I am completely fine. In fact, I feel like I have new shoes here because I just found shoes that I've had that I haven't worn for, you know, six months. But then yesterday, I had another body check-in. We have curtains that we've had in our bedroom since we moved in 11 years ago. And about a year ago, we had to get the rail replaced, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but the rail is not strong enough. So once a week, the whole thing falls down and we have to put it up and it's a huge pain. It takes us about 20 minutes. And so now what we're doing is we're just living with the curtains open. And so when I go to bed, I like try and put the covers over my head because I know in the morning I'm going to wake up and, you know, light's going to be waking me up. And finally, yesterday I had the thought process of, you know, why do we not just get this fixed? Why don't we just get, you know, dark, dark out, blinds and get this sorted. And so I did a body check-in, I talked to my husband, and the feeling I got from that was one of excitement, of you know, peace, of wow, this is going to be so good for us. And it really works. And so what I say to our listeners is use this, that body check-in of how do you feel about this? And if you're not 100% sure in that moment how you feel, then come back 24 hours later and do another body check-in about it to see, are you in the same place or is there you know, more clarity? Because something that you really hit on the head that is so real and really insightful that a lot of our stress around money is not necessarily about the numbers. It's about the fact that we don't necessarily have clarity about money. Can you tell us a little bit more about having clarity about money and what that can look like for you and how you can get there? Sure. I want to back up for a moment though. I love your stories and I want to give a second tool to the body check-in, which I think will lead to answering your question about how to get more clarity. Okay. 
So yeah. And I love your stories because every time you do a body check and it's going to be different, right? It's not the same story. It's a different scenario. It's a different situation. You're trying to make a money decision. So the body check-in is just one tool. It doesn't mean you do a body check-in, you see how you're feeling and you make all of your decisions from that, right? Because sometimes our feelings are telling us we really want this, you know, and we need this. So there's a second part to it. One is just slowing yourself down to check in in the moment, say, what are the feelings that are coming up? What are the sensations? What's going on, right? The second part of this is what are the questions that you can ask yourself in that moment to help you make a good financial decision, right? So there's two parts to it and maybe even three. And I'll give two really short stories and then we can move on. But I think it's going to answer all your questions. So the first one is a friend of mine was going into the Apple store to buy a new computer. And she had had a chat with herself of she was going to buy the mid price point. She'd already researched the exact computer she wanted online. And she was going in, you know, the clear intention, that's the one she was going to get. And as soon as she got in the store, she started talking with the salesperson or the Apple rep and the Apple rep was telling her about the next level up and all the new features that it had. And all of a sudden, as she was doing a check-in, she was realizing that she was wanting the bells and whistles. She was wanting the nicer one. She was wanting the next level up, the more expensive one. And so she's done body check-ins enough to know that she had to stop and pause and tell the salesperson one moment, I need to you know, go take a break, I'll be back. And she went into her car and she did a body check-in in which she was realizing that the teenager part of herself was really coming up and wanting to have a say and just wanted what she wanted. The, the younger teenager self who just, I want this, I deserve this, you know, mm-hmm. was coming up. And so she had a little chat with her teenager self and thanked her for coming up because I've seen around money that we've developed in so many areas, but with money, some of us feel that parts of ourselves are still at the teenager phase or some parts of ourselves are even younger. They're at the toddler phase. They never learned what, how to use a bookkeeping system or look at their numbers. Right? So anyway, my friend wound up going back into the Apple store and getting the mid price and feeling great. But you know, she had to stop and pause and take herself out of the moment and do a little work with herself in the car and then come back and stay on track. And that was, you know, and then she got to review afterwards and she felt really good about that money decision. Okay. Here's a second little short story. This was me about six years ago and we were going to a coffee shop on a Saturday. And then next to that coffee shop was this electric car green dealership. And my husband had been researching electric cars for a while, but you know, next thing I know we're, in the dealership, we're testing out the car pretty quickly. We're looking at financials. And all of a sudden, I noticed I was starting to hyperventilate a little bit, not in a big way. I was having some anxiety come up. And so I Mm -hmm. said to the car dealer guy and my husband, hold on. And I went to the bathroom because the bathroom is a great place to do a body check-in. And I just started doing a body check-in when I was able to calm myself down. But at first I was noticing my breath was up in my throat and I was just getting nervous. Why was I getting nervous? I don't like to make quick money decisions. You know, at that time I didn't. It's funny because five years later when we bought a home, I was ready to make a decision and we, where we live, we did it in 36 hours. But if I had not had this experience and practice five years before and saying clearly to the car dealer guy and my husband, hold on, you know, and I went to do my body check-in and after I realized, oh, I'm feeling nervous or anxious, I don't like to make quick decisions, 
okay, and I just named what the emotion was. I sat with it for a few minutes. I got my breath to calm down, and then I came back out, and I said, we need to have a money date right here. And you can have a money date with yourself, which I know a lot of the women in your community that they have to work with money now. They have to make all the decisions, right? Where in that moment, I said to my husband, we need to have a money date. And what does that mean? It just means sitting down and having a 20-minute conversation or asking yourself a set of questions. Do I have the cash flow for this now? Is this decision in alignment with my values? Will this affect my long-term goal at the time it was buying a home? But years before, I didn't have a set of questions. I didn't know. I just was making decisions, and we all just make decisions on the fly. So part of this is learning practices and tools where mm-hmm. one, you can stop yourself and check in with the body, check in what is the emotion. Number two, start to ask yourself a series of questions in all these different moments where you're needing to make a money decision, you know, and starting to come up with your own set of questions. Do I need this? Do I want this? Will I enjoy this? You know, or will, is this in alignment with my values? Do I have the cash flow? Will this affect long-term goals? or whatever other questions you want to ask yourself. And so we wound up having a 20 minute money date in the car dealer, answered all of those questions, and then came out with a yes and drove off with the car. But this was after you know a few years of doing, my husband doing the research, and then me having a body check-in and a full money date in the car dealership. So how were we able to do that? Part of it was because we're clear on our numbers. And that takes a while. So this mm-hmm. is the whole second phase, money practices. It's sitting down maybe weekly at the beginning for half an hour or an hour and having money dates with yourself. And, you know, I like to light my candles. You may think that's not your thing or play some nice music, get your coffee out or your tea. I always get my dark chocolate. I want to set the stage a little bit, set the space so that it feels good. And then I sit down and I have a money date with myself or I have a money date with my husband or, you know, we sometimes we have money dates as a family with our 11-year-old child when we're deciding where we should make donations. We include him in that. But this whole section is if you don't know what your numbers are, it's time to learn. And this can be Mm -hmm. so scary for many of us. I was terrified. So many of us are afraid to just see what the real numbers are. Why? Because... It brings up emotions. It brings up memories of our mother paying the bills when we were growing up. It brings up guilt. It's interesting because I just went through this process myself. I know the numbers with the firm, Francis Financial, down to a T. And what I find with my personal is that I don't. I know I'm on track financially because I work backwards. I update our financial plan. The plan says you need to save X number of dollars this month, this year, and I hit it. Not a problem. I know I'm on track. But exactly what you're talking about, Barry, is what I have found of myself of being frightened about seeing what the real numbers are. So even though I know I'm on track financially with what I should be doing with savings and investing, I have a huge amount of anxiety about how much we're really spending and more importantly, where it's going. And with your book, really started to peel back the layers of what is this coming from? Why am I feeling this way? And it came from 
the emotion you talk a lot about of shame and that many people have shame around their money, both individuals who maybe have extreme large amounts of debt to those that are uber wealthy. And I find myself, you know, not uber wealthy, but, you know, I'm very, very blessed. And I realize so much of that shame comes from, from me, guilt of, I have all these resources. I'm able to um, go to Whole Foods. I'm able to buy organic food. I'm able to get new shoes for my children for, you know, going back to school. And that feeling of, I'm able to do this, but look at how many people who do not. And then worrying about, if I have a bookkeeper who helps me with this, which I need one because there's just not enough time in the day, are they going to judge me? And the happy end of the story is that I moved through that fear. I moved through that feeling of being uncomfortable and I reached out to a bookkeeper and we're setting up a QuickBooks account. We're linking all my accounts. We're going to start to have reports on a weekly basis. I'm actually really excited, still a little nervous, but really excited. And the reason why I share this story is because what you're saying of, you know, people worrying about seeing the numbers, it's not just the people listening to this podcast. It's, you know, people like me who deal with numbers. I mean, I see hundreds of budgets of individuals, you know, throughout my years, but yet my budget, I'm afraid to look at it. I think it's really interesting. It's very common. You know, I work with, as I was saying, folks from 25 to 75 years old, I work with folks, women who are stay-at-home moms, who've been in the corporate world for years, who are their own, run their own business, you know, at all different income levels, and on and on and on. But the, my financial folks are always interesting because it's pretty common that you know how to manage million-dollar budgets, and yet yep. you still have your own issues, and you still have your own fears or anxieties, and looking at the numbers brings up inner judgment or you know, et cetera. And so I've worked with so many financial folks over the years. And so they have the skill set and the tools, you know, how to budget, you know, how to use bookkeeping systems. And so why is it so challenging sometimes to look at your own numbers? And, you know, everyone has a different story, but a lot of financial folks, you know, feel that just in general, folks feel there is a right way to do this, that there's an inner judger or critiquer that comes up when they start looking at their numbers, meaning as though there's a certain way of how you should be spending your money in the world, you know? And so when we start to look at our numbers, it brings up all of that. Is it okay that I spend so much on organic food? Well, you might evaluate that and realize no, or you may realize, yes, organic food and shopping at Whole Foods because it's just easy going to one place instead of three different places looking for a better deal is just what's right for your family at this time. But everyone's different. And so, yes, that's why the tool of the body check-in is so important. That's why setting up a money date, play your music, you know, get your chocolate or whatever your version is of that to help calm yourself down. And then take some time when you're looking at your numbers. At first, I always say, Track your numbers for three to six months just so you can start to see what's coming in and out and what the cash flow patterns are before you add in the judger. And I'm not saying to ever really add in the judger, but before you start evaluating what's working, what's not. 
what ways of spending are in alignment with our values and which are not. And we can start to adjust. But we also mm -hmm. may want to look at and say, well, where do we want to save more? Where do we want to donate more? And what would feel overall a better balance? You know, if I'm feeling some guilt at having extra money to be able to do these things, work with that. But also, is are there ways that you want to give? Exactly. Communities in the world. Yeah. And that's a way to help balance it out. But also really evaluating where you are spending your money because we just get so scared to look as though we're doing it wrong. Or but some of us are overspending. You know, I've had really high income earners still overspending. Why? They're just simply not looking at their numbers and tracking their numbers so that they could direct it more clearly, saying they want to save here. And so because they're not looking they're overspending and going into debt. And it's not always, you know, solved that easily. But some of my financial folks, the tool of renaming in the book, I don't know if you remember that, but yes. Yeah. And it's really wonderful because renaming just for our listeners, it's all about, you know, instead of the word mortgage next to that, you know, bless that big payment going towards your mortgage might be, you know, sweet home, sweet home expense. Or I love your idea about taxes because I just received in April a unbelievably large tax bill because many of the Tax Reform Act changes that went into action and renaming that as my contribution to society and my community. Wow, completely different view of it. Either way, I have to pay the same amount. <laughs> but right, the way you that you think about it. Renaming is important. And the other thing I wanted to ask you, yeah. just to make sure that we you know, also offered some tactical tools, what are your favorite softwares that you recommend to try and make this easy and simple for individuals? And I know that you typically like to also use a really nice Excel spreadsheet. Quicken, QuickBooks, Mint.com. Do you have some favorites that might I do. I mean, my favorite is QuickBooks and I'm biased because it was just, that's what I was taught at the beginning. And so I love it. And for years I had my personal in one file and my business in a separate. And then I eventually passed it on to a bookkeeper. We still do our own personal, but our business is now done by a bookkeeper. And that's wonderful. In my community, people love mint.com. It gives you just a simple, quick glance and you can sync up with your bank. So the bank accounts sync up with Mint and it downloads it for you. You just have to name your categories or name what this particular transaction was, you know, and then you can get really quick reports on what's coming in and what's going out for the month. So Mint is simple and you can get your data pretty quickly. So Mint and Quicken and MoneyMinder. So MoneyMinder was created by two financial coaches Karen McCall and Michael Ann Valterra. And Karen McCall is 75 and she's one of the pioneers. Of her work is financial recovery. And so they created the software where you can rename your categories, where you can do the reporting and forecasting you want. The other one I'll mention is YNAB, Y-N-A-B. And I don't use it, but some of my community loves it. I think with any of these, there's no one perfect system. There just isn't. And so you just have to pick one and try it out for a while. But what's good about YNAB is that it's all about budgeting. So it's all about planning for the future and giving every dollar a purpose, you know. And so for, you know, QuickBooks and Quicken, they have simple budgeting features in them, but they're not that elaborate. And that's why I always used QuickBooks is my main one. And then my husband would create these fancy Excel spreadsheets for us to do 
more detailed cash flow planning. But I'm very happy with just QuickBooks. So either Mint, Quicken, Moneyminder, or YNAB for personal. And then business, I would say QuickBooks or Wave. That's very helpful. I know we're getting to the end of our time together. And I want to leave our listeners with some tools to help them forgive their money mistakes. We all have money mistakes, every single one of us. And some things to think about of how we can start to heal our relationship with money so that we can move on and have that internal relationship really support externally how we're behaving around money with you know spending and savings and making sure that that really does mesh with our values with you know who we are and what's important to us inside so this is the whole beginning of my methodology which i call money healing it's the whole first five or six chapters of my book in the beginning of my year long program and we start with this before i you know start teaching folks to learn a bookkeeping system, right? Or rename their categories to their values or create a money map. We start with money healing. And so this area is all about looking at what your money story is. And so there's lots of questions in the book that can help you do this, but here are some of them. To help you begin to understand what your money story is, I start now. So journaling about what is your relationship to earning and what does that mean to you? And Mm -hmm. What is your relationship to spending and what is your relationship to saving and giving and investing and just starting to write out some of your thoughts and feelings and, you know, what is that like? So what is your current relationship to earning and spending and saving and giving and loaning and saving and investing? Okay, Mm -hmm. start there. And then I do go into the past and a lot of it is just by asking yourself questions and whether you journal or whether you just go for a walk or when you're exercising, you think about this. We all have different ways. I like to go on hikes and think about this. Other people like to journal and asking questions about how you grew up. So what was your family of origin? What was their economic class? And what was their lineage and ethnicity? And what money lessons did they pass on to you positively, negatively, consciously, unconsciously? Some of us just remember, as I was saying earlier, our mom paying the bills at the kitchen table, being pretty anxious, you know, or Mm -hmm. loving that, you know, a lot of it sometimes is just through memory, but just starting to journal about what did you learn from your mother about money? What did you learn from your father or whoever Mm -hmm. raised you? What did you learn from your grandparents? Here's another one. What was your role? If you had siblings, what was your money role? For example, I was considered a spender, like from age five on, and my brother and sister were pretty much the savers. My brother had a bank at age five, and I was always, you know, wanting to buy the candy or wanting to buy the school ring for my mother. So, and just, and I'm the oldest, so just going back to understand a bit of your money story, part of it comes from the environment we grew up in, part of it, right? Another part of it is just what is our personality and what is our nature, And so just starting to understand your money story of what's your current relationship to earning and spending and giving, how is that working? What's not working? What did you learn from family and the environment or the economic class you were brought up in and starting there. And here's the thing, while you're doing that work, be gentle with yourself, have compassion, emotions may be coming up. The ones we've named shame, guilt, anger, that's all normal right? We may realize that we did make some financial mistakes in the past. Most of us have. That's really normal, 
you know? So then how do we start adding in forgiveness to who we were at that time? We may be very different now. You know, I've heard so many stories over the years, you know, I, and here's one example of going into a marriage and not reading the prenuptial agreement in as much detail as you would have now. And so now you would have read that in detail. You would have gotten an attorney. You would know how to value yourself at the time you didn't. And that's okay, you know? And so how do you gift yourself with forgiveness for who you were at the time and that was the best that you could do? And now you've grown and you've matured and you've worked on yourself and you're different. Or maybe you haven't fully done that. Maybe it's time you're finally realizing I need to learn how to value myself more. And what does that even mean? And so for me doing this money work, learning what our money story is, bringing more awareness and understanding to this area leads to where do I need to add in forgiveness? We've mm -hmm. all mistakes. What are they? Is there anything you need to do? Do you need to go and have a conversation with someone? Do you need to let it go? Do you need to forgive someone else? You know, that's all. A lot of the work that I, you know, learning as a therapist, it's that whole process. But we do all of that before we step into the practical parts. And that's what I call the money healing. It's really understanding where are you at with your money story, what's working, what's not. And for many of us, especially women, our relationship to our value bumps right up against our relationship to money. So yeah. true. So true. Barry, how do our listeners find out about your website, your programs? Can you share your website? Would that be a good yeah. starting point? Yeah, my website is great. It's my name, barrytesler.com, and it's B-A-R-I-T-E-S-S-L-E-R.com. My website links to the Art of Money book, which you can get, you know, everywhere online. Uh, my website, there's a page just for the Art of Money year-long program. Just by reading that page, people say they gain tools and practices for their relationship to money because it takes you through the money healing, money practices, money maps framework. And I create blog articles every two weeks. I have a podcast. And then I'm on social media on Instagram and Facebook. Those are great ways to find out about me and my work. Well, I can't thank you enough for being here. Any last words of advice or anything else that we missed? We, we I know there's talk, so much more to your book. We could talk for hours. I would just say, please get my book and start there. And what's yeah. nice about the book is that I read a lot of fiction and novels and memoirs. So I'm a storyteller typically. And so the book is filled with very practical, concrete tools and practices and questions that you can ask yourself in each phase. But there's lots of stories of my community. Again, people from all different income levels, and it's a lot of my own stories, how I've worked through this. So I would say start there. And the two main tools that I would say to begin with are one is the body check-in. And two is to, if you don't already know what your numbers are, is to get a bookkeeping trainer to sit down with you and show you how to use one of these bookkeeping systems, unless you're someone who can just go online and learn them by yourself. But if not, get a new person on your financial support team and have them sit down with you on a money date and begin to teach you and just know it's going to take time. There's going to be a learning curve. We're learning this for the first time as adults. And it's just going to take time and patience and a lot of self-compassion. But we all can learn this with the right teacher. It is fantastic to have you. And I am 
so happy that you joined us. And I get just want to second that as well, that sometimes getting support while we might think that that seems weak, it's not at all. It's actually one of the strongest, one of the bravest things that someone can do. And I know for me, it was a really big step to reach out to get support, to really get a handle on my personal spending numbers. And I realized it was one of the most brave things I could have ever done. So thank you for being here, Barry. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. In just a few minutes, we'll go over the main takeaways from our podcast today. There's quite a few to-dos that I know I put on my list, and I hope that you have quite a few as well. Understanding where your money going is vitally important and whether it meshes with your values. But also, that's true for the way your money is invested. Understanding where your money is invested and if it meshes with your values. We offer a second opinion service that can help you see where you stand, what you're invested in, and how it's working for you or potentially not working as hard as it really should. Our second opinion service is free of charge. There's no obligation, but what I do guarantee for you is that you will understand more about your money than you ever have in your life. That is our gift to you, and that's something we want to help you with. Today's podcast gave me a huge amount of information and motivation to really incorporate body checks in my life, to start money dates with myself. I've been doing them with my husband, but also with myself to really understand if the way I'm spending my money is truly in line with my values and what's important to me. So you see, I share that I'm on track. I know I'm on track financially because My financial plan tells me how much to save, and you bet that I do that every year. But it's essentially closing my eyes, kind of like the hear no evil, see no evil, feel no evil about my spending and where those dollars are really going. So stay tuned because I'm going to share with you what that means and how it's actually checked out. And I encourage you to stand up, be brave like myself, and get a handle on where your money's actually going. If I can do it, you can do it. And so can all of the wonderful women in your life. So share that message. Thank you for tuning in to Financially Ever After. And thank you for investing in yourself.